0: I think everybody would probably agree that we live in a materialistic society. (laughs) And really, at least as far as uh, most of the Western world is concerned, we can't help it. Uh, We have a a consumer-based economy. And what they mean is that our entire economy is based on people buying things and consuming them. And uh, I, I saw a really good uh, uh, example of this. It's, a, it's, it's an old movie from the 1950s. And it's called The Man in the White Suit. And the uh, premise of the movie is that a, uh, a researcher in a, uh, a textile mill has developed the perfect thread. You can make clothes out of this thread and they will never wear out. They'll never get dirty, they'll never get stained. As a matter of fact, it is so stain resistant that you can't even dye it. So it's white, hence the title of the movie. Uh, but this guy thinks he has done one of the most wonderful things possible. He has made uh, it possible for people to have clothes that will never wear out and they never need to be washed. This is a great thing. And then the complaints start. An older woman runs a laundry, and she comes to him, and she says, what have you done? People will buy this, and they'll never need to wash their clothes. I'm going to be out of business. I won't be able to earn a living. And then the, uh, the workers in the textile mill come to him, and they're complaining. You know, people can buy one suit, and wear it their entire lives. They'll never need any other clothes. What have you done? You've put us all in a poorhouse. The people that, that serve the workers, the people who have the restaurants and things like that, they're dependent on the, uh, the textile mill workers spending their money in the grocery stores and the restaurants and whatnot. And they say all of those people are, are going to be put out of work. They won't have any money. And then we're all going to be out, out of work. We're not going to have any way to earn a living. What have you done? And finally, everybody gets together, and they corner the guy, and they get rid of him and his invention. But the thing is is that is essentially the way our economy works. It works on people making things to sell to other people who can buy them because they make things, and they get a a paycheck. So it's a consumer-based economy. And there's nothing at all wrong with that. The problem is, is it is so important in our lives, this acquisition of things, that we begin to think that it's the most important thing. We start to give things, material possessions, a a higher place in our lives than they really deserve to have. You know, as you heard just a moment ago, there from Luke twelve fifteen, Jesus is telling people, take heed and beware of covetousness. Covetousness, as the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5 and in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 5, he said covetousness is idolatry. You know, most of the time, if people read uh, things in the Bible about, you know, not being idolaters, And they say, well, what's the problem with that? Nobody in the world today worships idols. Well, there are some people who do. But the point that Paul is making is that anything that has become the most important thing in life to you is now your God. It has taken God's place. So you're an idolater. And he says covetousness is idolatry. If you think that the acquisition of material things is the most important thing in the world, you're worshiping things. And so Jesus says, you know, beware of that. Watch out for that kind of attitude, you know, beginning to take root in your life. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things that he possesses. There are a lot of people who would argue that point. They think that your life does consist in the abundance of the things that you possess. They think, you know, you can tell uh, where a person ranks by how much stuff they've got. And uh, I've seen it, I don't know how many times, I know you have too, that the attitude that people oftentimes have toward people who have a lot of money, you know, they treat them a little bit differently. They're a little nicer to them. You know, what it is basically, and I don't know if a lot of people realize this or not, but it, it is subconsciously uh, the case, if nothing else. A lot of times you are nicer to people who have a lot of money or who have a, a, a lot of power or have a higher position than you do because you're hopeful that they'll be nice to you back. They're in a position to do you favors. So be nice to them. You don't want to make them mad. The problem is, is you can't do that if you're a Christian. We have an obligation to treat everybody the same. You know, uh, we talked about this sometime back in in James chapter two. James is talking about that exact thing. In James chapter two, beginning uh, verse one, he says, My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. But if you show partiality... You commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. The point that he's making, and it's one of those things, we've talked about it before, but it is important there in verse 10 when he says for whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point he's guilty of all that does not mean that God is waiting for you to make one little tiny mistake so he can condemn you the entire point of what James is saying here is that people think that showing partiality is a small thing and it doesn't matter and James is saying yes it does matter It is not a small thing. Even if it was a small thing, you're still breaking God's law by doing it. And if you're breaking God's law by showing partiality, then you're guilty of breaking God's law. You're a lawbreaker, just like you would have been if you stole or if you murdered or anything else. So he says you can't dismiss this as just a little thing. He says you have broken uh, the, the royal law. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. He said, that's what you need to do. You don't be partial to people because of the stuff that they've got. You, you have to treat everybody the same. You know, be the same toward every person. Because the, the thing about it is, is, one of the things that people don't realize is stuff is temporary. It's not going to be here forever. You know, there is going to come a time when none of these things are going to be here. And, and Solomon makes a, a, a really good point in the book of Ecclesiastes because he's talking about people that are going out and they're working their whole life to accumulate things. And he says, you know, and, and what's going to happen to it? You're going to die and you're going to leave it to somebody else. And who knows if he's going to be a wise man or a fool? You know, you worked your entire life to accumulate all of this, and the guy who comes after you may waste every bit of it, and within a generation, nobody ever knows that you even did it. So what is the point? It, it, it's one of those things. It's, it's interesting if you go back into uh, like the, uh, the mid to late 1800s, uh, the early 1900s in, in our country. Uh, sometimes people refer to it as the time of the robber barons, you had some people that were that were making a bunch of money, uh, Vanderbilts, Rockefellers, Morgans, people like that. They were making a lot of money. And if you look at biographies that are written about some of these people, they weren't really particular about how they did it. <laughs> You know, if, if I have to just run over people in, in the process, fine, I'm going to do it because, you know, I'm important and I'm going to make all the money I can. Uh, and they did it. <clears throat> they, they made tons of money. But the thing that is really interesting and that just about all of them have in common <clears throat> is later in life, they started spending that money, you know, building museums Art centers, uh, hospitals, you know, their, their names are on all kinds of stuff out there that, that they, they spent a lot of money to make. And people think of them now as great benefactors when actually what they were was a bunch of rich people trying to buy their way into heaven. At the end of their life, they finally discovered, you know, I've got all of this. What good is it? Because I'm going to die and leave it behind. And people are going to remember how I made it and they're not going to like me very much. So I need to do something so people will remember me in a kinder way. DuPont did the same thing. You know, you've got got, uh, somebody who developed, uh, Alfred Nobel uh, developed dynamite. And toward the end of his life, he was afraid people were going to remember him by all the lives that had been lost. So he financed the Nobel Prize. So people would think about it in a different way. And that's the thing, when you come to the end of your life, you finally realize that material things are not what you thought they were. They are not nearly as important as you originally thought. You know, and and that's one of those things, when you you look in scripture, that is one of the things that Jesus makes perfectly clear. Over in uh, Matthew chapter six, in verse 19, He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. The point he's making there is these things are temporary. They are not going to be here forever. They may not even outlast you. They're temporary things. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What is the most important thing in life to you? The acquisition of material things or doing what God wants you to do? That's the point. If the most important thing in your life is the acquisition of material things, you are going to find yourself badly disappointed when this life is over. He says, goes on to say, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? When he talks about the lamp of the body being the eye, what he's talking about is what do your eyes immediately go to? You know, you, you, you will immediately focus on things that are important to you. You know, you go in somewhere and something's important and you'll, you'll see it and you'll focus on it. And he's saying that if, if, if material things are what your eye focuses on first, that tells people what your whole body is made up of. Greed. You want things. And he says if, if what your eye focuses on, what is important to you is darkness, in other words, it's a bad thing, then you're full of darkness. And that is a really bad thing. Something that's very, very hard to get over. And he tells him, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You have to make up your mind. Who am I going to follow? God or money? What am I going to go after? Being pleasing to God or acquiring stuff? He said, it's going to be one or the other. You cannot do both. You can't. It's not something that you can do. We need to take heed and beware of covetousness, and we don't need to judge other people by the things that they've got. Again, you know, you look at what James said in James chapter 2. Sometimes we tend to look down on people who don't have as much as we do. They're not worth as much as we are. And that's not something we can do either. You know, don't look at them as, as, as though, you know, well, I'm going to be nice to them because they can do good things for me. They can't do anything for me, so I don't care about them. Don't look at them that way. Leviticus chapter 19 in verse 15, it says, You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty. In righteousness, you shall judge your neighbor. He says, You don't be partial to anybody. You know, now people have the uh, opinion, or at least they claim to today, to be partial to the poor. They favor the poor. And he says, You don't do that either. You don't look at, at the material possessions they have, their, their place in, uh, in the strata of society, and be favorable to. To them no matter where they are. If they're rich, treat them like everybody else. If they're poor, treat them like everybody else. You treat everybody the same. The things that they have don't matter. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of the things that he possesses to him or to anybody else. It doesn't make any difference. As far as God is concerned, you know, what you have doesn't matter. The thing is, is you're going to, to leave it all behind anyway. One of the things, <clears throat> I heard somebody say this not too terribly long ago, and I got to thinking about it, and I, and I think he really does have a point. He said, the problem that we have today is not so much greed. It's envy. He said, people, as long as they have the necessities of life, they're happy. They've got enough food to eat. They've got a roof over their head. They've got clothes to wear. They're happy until they see somebody else that has more than they do. And then all of a sudden it's, well, how come they've got that and I don't? Are they special? That's not fair. You ever heard that? And people talk about things not being fair. Well, life's not fair. Get over it. You know, things happen. Deal with it as it goes. You know, this life's not going to last forever either. So it doesn't really matter if you're treated fairly or not. God's going to take care of all of that. But people worry about what somebody else has that they don't have. And it bothers them. I've got to have that too. You've got to keep up with the Joneses. And that is one of the There, There are two things that modern society does to keep our consumer-based economy going. The first one is planned obsolescence. They really do make things to wear out. They could make them last longer, but they don't. Because if they did, you wouldn't have to go buy another one. And eventually, people would be out of work. So they, they make them to wear out in a certain amount of time. You'll keep it for a while, it'll break down, then you go get a new one. The second thing is... Is they convince you that what you have is not as good as something else they're selling. They come up with, I, I always like to pick on men's razors. You know, back, back in the early 1900s when the safety razor was invented, everybody thought that was the greatest thing ever. You know, you could you could shave and not worry too much about cutting your own throat. So everybody thought they were great, they worked great. And then somebody was saying, well, if they just buy one razor and all they're doing is replacing the blades occasionally, we're not making as much money as we could. We need to do something. Ah, we'll make a razor that's got two blades in it. And I remember the commercials. They used to say the first blade will pull it, stretch the whisker out, and the second one will cut it off. If it really did that, you would never use that thing because it would hurt. But they convinced you it was better than the one you had. And then they had three blades and then they had four blades and then they had five and then they had six and then they have exfoliating strips and moisturizing strips and none of that stuff does a thing except make you spend money. The old stuff still works just as good as it did then, but they're convincing you that you need to spend money because what you have is not as good as something else. You want to be seen as being right up there with everybody else. Envy. They've got it, and I don't. I've got to have that. They do that with cars a lot, too. What I would give for like a 1964 Volkswagen, they'd never tear up. But that's what they do. They make you think that what you have is not good for you. You need to be, as Paul was, content with what you have. If you have the necessities of life, believe me, you are better off than about 50% of the world's population. We think about you know, how bad we have things, we don't know the meaning of the word. I saw something once about a, uh, a lady. In Africa, they, they have had civil wars all over the country. Have had for years and years and years. Well, these people, uh, you have tribes that just want to exterminate another tribe. Why? Because it's a different tribe. Why not? But there was a lady, they were were fleeing the fighting, and she's got children. And they're small children. She got three of them. She's carrying one, the other two are walking. The youngest of the two that are walking finally can't walk anymore. Just sits down beside the trail. So now she has a decision. She can't carry them both. So does she take the two that she's got and leave that one to die? Or does she stay there with that one and all of them die? You know, that was a decision she was having to make. What would you do? I would pray that I never have to make a decision like that. We have more than the vast majority of the people in the world there, there was somebody a, a little while back at some kind of an awards show. Uh, and they got up and, and made the statement about how oppressed they were while they were wearing a dress that cost more than my car. And somebody said, well, you got how many million dollars? Ninety five percent of the world wishes that they were as oppressed as you are. You know, we, we need to look at the people who have less, not just at the people who have more. That's what our problem is. We look the wrong way. Instead of looking at someone and saying, how come I don't have what they have? Look at the people that don't have it and say, boy, am I glad I'm better off than that. I could be there. We're looking in the wrong direction. We're suffering from envy. In Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 7, it says, two things I request of you. He's talking to God. Two things I request of you, deprive me not before I die, remove falsehood and lies far from me, give me neither poverty nor riches, feed me with the food allotted to me, lest I be full and deny you, and say, who is the Lord, or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. I don't want to be rich, I don't want to be poor." I want to have enough. Enough is all we need. Be content with such things as we have. I saw, and you can find this uh, on online somewhere. I uh, used to hear uh, news stories about it all the time. Uh, I saw another one that uh, was just lately, and it was talking about lottery winners. You know, the, the big deal they had about this billion-dollar lottery just recently well, they were talking about lottery winners. If, uh, it, it's almost to the point that if somebody came and knocked on my door and said, I've got a winning lottery ticket and I'm going to give it to you, I'd get a shotgun. You tell them, you get off my property and you get off now because I don't want it. You go through and read about some of the things that happen to people who won the lottery. It's pitiful. They end up bankrupt or dead, or in jail. I mean, it's just really, really bad. What happens to people when they suddenly get a whole lot of money? There was a guy, he, he runs a business where he, he's a financial planner. He helps people deal with their money when they've got a whole lot. And he says in, in his business, and it wasn't just in his company, but in the business, he said, in our business, we have a saying, five years. If somebody comes into money suddenly, Within five years' time, either the money is gone or the person is gone. And it happens all the time. People are just not set up to deal with that kind of stuff. So just, you know, avoid the temptation and don't, don't, don't get it. Have enough, not too much, not too little. Because too much is just as bad as too little. And it's, it, it's not that having things is bad. Having material things is not bad. The, the problem with a lot of things is it's not that we have them. It's our attitude toward them. And, and that's true in a lot of areas when you're living the Christian life. Your attitude is oftentimes what's going to either get you in trouble or keep you out of trouble. But it's not just the things that are necessarily going to be your problem. In uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, in verse 6, Paul says, now godliness with contentment is great gain. He's saying if, if, if you have enough to live on and you're content with that and you're a godly person, you are rich. You are rich. I heard a guy uh, not too terribly long ago, he was talking from a philosophical stance, not a religious one. But he said, the less you want, the richer you are. And he's absolutely right. Because you have some rich people who want a whole lot more. They don't consider themselves to be rich. And you have other people who have very little, but they have enough to live on. And they're thankful for what they have. And they do consider themselves to be rich. It's, it, it's not the, the amount that you have. It's the attitude you have toward it. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. We are not going to take any of it with us. Not a bit. Having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Money does not buy happiness. It may buy you a better class of misery, but it isn't going to buy happiness. Because happiness is not something that comes from the outside. It's something that comes from the inside. It's not the things that you have. It's the attitude that you have about it all. Are you happy with what you got? You're a happy person. Rich people are miserable all over the place. Now, he went on talking about what rich people are supposed to do. Again, having things is not the problem. The attitude toward the things that you have is the problem. In verse 17, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy." Let them do good that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. They can have the things, but they don't trust in the things. They don't covet the things, and they're willing to spend them to help other people. You know, one of the interesting things about the account of uh, the rich young ruler I'm talking about the one in in Luke. In Luke chapter 18, you read about the rich young ruler. And then just after that, Luke 19, you read about Zacchaeus. Kind of an interesting uh, contrast there. Uh, The rich young ruler had a lot of money. Jesus knew that his money was his problem. So Jesus told him, and he obviously knew he had an issue because he said, what do I still lack? You know, if you go and ask somebody, well, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? He says, follow the, the, the commands of the law of Moses. The law of Moses was still in effect at that time, so that was the thing to do. He said, I've done that. You know, most people would say, oh, great. Well, I've already been doing that. I'm good to go. And then they would leave. He didn't leave. He said, what do I still lack? He knew there was an issue. Jesus told him, take what you have, sell it, give it to the poor, come take up your cross and follow me. And he went away sorrowful because he had great riches. He didn't want to do it. Now Zacchaeus, who was a rich man as well, he wants to see Jesus. Jesus says, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to your house today. I'm going to eat at your house. And uh, Zacchaeus, who evidently was a very rich man, without being asked, he said, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded any man, I'll restore it fourfold. I will take half of everything I've got, and I'm going to give it to the poor. You didn't ask me to do it, but I'm going to do it anyway. And if I have ever defrauded anybody, I'm going to give him back four times what I took from him. And Jesus said, you know, he's a a son of Abraham, too, and salvation has come to this house. He had the right attitude toward his money. The rich young ruler did not. It's not what you have. It's your attitude toward what you have. You can have a rich man's attitude and not have two nickels to rub together. It's the attitude, the way you think about these things. So we need to be careful. And the problem is we live in a materialistic society. We can't avoid it. We're bombarded every day with, you need to buy this, you need to buy that. You can't be happy unless you have this stuff. We hear it every day. you got to be careful to try to tune it out. You know, in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, Paul said, do not be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We are supposed to be in the world, but not of the world we're supposed to be different and forget about the material thing you know one of the nice things about it is it, 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 as long as you bear in mind the fact that all of this stuff is temporary it's not gonna last you don't get to keep it it doesn't matter how much you like it how much you paid for it you don't get to keep it I heard about a uh, uh, one of those jokes a uh, guy was just absolutely filthy rich. And he was about to die. And uh, he said, I'm going to take my money with me. He said, I want it all converted to stuff that I can, I can fit in the coffin. And I, I, I want to be buried with all of my money. So they said, OK, that's what we'll do. And that's what they did. And then uh, they were having the funeral, the, the visitation, and there was a bum who thought, oh, you know, they usually have food at these things. I'm going to go in and see if I can find something to eat. So he comes in. He gets kind of turned around and ends right up there by the coffin. And he looks, and it's full of money. And he thinks, this is great. And he just starts taking money, and he's packing his pockets with it. And somebody comes up and says, you can't do that. He said, don't worry about it. I'm going to leave him a check. You know, you don't get to take it with you. Your life does not consist in the abundance of the things that you possess. Have the correct attitude toward the things that we do have in this world. Be content with what you have. It may be that there's someone here this morning that's not a Christian. If that be the case, you could come forward this morning confessing your faith in Jesus as the Son of God, and you could be baptized to have your sins washed away. Or it might be that uh, you're an erring child of God. You've done something that has separated you from God, if that be the case, you need to go to him in prayer, confess your sin to him from a repentant heart, and ask him to forgive you. And he's promised to do that. If your sin is public in nature, then your repentance should be public as well, so that you'll not bring shame and reproach upon the church. Or it could be that there's someone who just needs to ask for the prayers of those that are gathered here for some other reason. Whatever your need is, would you come forward and make it known, while together we stand and sing.